Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Dave Burden. I'm the pastor of the Creve Hall Congregation, uh, if you don't know who I am. Uh, but excited to open up the Word this morning for us. We are, um, if you've been following, if you've been watching at all, if you've been to any of these services, we're, we're coming out of a series that we titled The Priesthood of the Believer. And if you haven't been following, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it because everything I'm about to say won't make sense. I'm kidding. Uh, We've been exploring this idea uh, that is really presented fully in the New Testament, uh, but we see it in the Old Testament as well, that God has given his uh, people this new identity. He's calling them to this new identity as priests. In Exodus 19, it, it says that God saved Israel from Egypt and from their sins in order to be this kingdom of priests, uh, which is meaning effectively that they've been given this completely new identity. And right after that statement in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, if you're familiar at all with your Bible, that's where the Ten Commandments are, uh, he gives them the way that they should live out this new identity as a kingdom of priests. This is how I want you to step into this new identity of, of who I've made you to be, who I've saved you to be, who I've rescued you to be. And God gave those commandments, those 10 commandments, uh, to Moses uh, to give to the people. He gave them uh, through giving of the law. And really, if, if you look at the, the 10 commandments as a whole, it's, they can kind of be summed up in, in two different you know, truths, really. One, how are we called to relate to God? And then, uh, you know, how are we called to relate to one another? And in that order, I'm called to relate to God in a certain way. And then as a result of relating to God in a certain way, I relate to my fellow man in a certain way. And if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, uh, you probably think of it in all of the thou shalt nots, right? It's all the don'ts, right? Just don't do this, just don't do this, which if you're a human being like me, you're not really good at. Uh, you kind of hear don't and it's like, maybe I should and maybe I should try. But it's not just about the don'ts, right? It's, a, it's about the positive even implication of that negative command. That we're not supposed to be people who steal or who are obsessed with our own needs, but we're, we're called to be people because we, we reflect him, right? We're called to be people who are incredibly generous, right? And so as, as those who are gonna, we're gonna look at the 10 commandments, we're gonna look at them in a little different way over the next, I guess, seven or so weeks. We're going to be looking at what are these new rhythms, what are these new values, what are these new agendas that really reflect the kingdom of God and the king who we are priests under, right? What are these rhythms, what are these values, how do we reflect him as ambassadors, as priests in the world? So we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, and this is going to be a little confusing, but just everything's confusing right now, right? We're going to look at the Ten Commandments, but specifically we're not going to look at them just you know, by themselves, we're going to look at how Jesus and his person, how he teaches, how he interacts with other people. We're going to look at different stories of, of his teaching and his interaction, how Jesus unfolds these Ten Commandments in really amazing ways. How he taught or how he interacted with people around these truths and these values and how ultimately we know this. I mean, God set the bar pretty high in the Ten Commandments and we never could fulfill those commandments. We fall short, Right? But Jesus, scripture says that he fulfilled all of that. He didn't abolish it. He didn't wipe it away. He fulfilled all those commandments so that he could give you and me a new spirit and a new heart and actually the capacity now to follow him in these new ways, right? So last week we looked at the, you know, the first commandment, 
which is uh, about idols, first few idols, and having no other gods before me. The commandment we're going to look at today and the story we're going to study or the teaching we're going to study today really flow out of that, that first commandment. And the thing we're going to look at today is about rest, okay? It's about the Sabbath. And we're going to look specifically at rest through the topic of worry, okay? It's going to be looking at the issue of rest and this call, this, this command to rest. And we're going to look at it through something that I think we experience very much. Um, at least I'm experiencing it quite a bit in my life. Uh, so be honest with yourself if you're not. Uh, worry, okay? So I'm going to read from Exodus and then I'm going to read from Matthew 6. Everybody with me? We good? All right, here we go. Exodus 20, uh, verses 8 to 11, and then Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is to be a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And from Matthew chapter six. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink about your body or what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labor and spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the Lord's word to us. All right. So what are these two uh, passages? Why, why did we decide to use these two passages? What do these two passages uh, have to do with one another? And, and practically for us today. Well, I want to I take a second and just talk uh, for a minute about Exodus 20. We're going to be spending the lion's share of our time in this passage in Matthew. Let's talk about Exodus 20 for a second. This is uh, the fourth commandment within the context of the Ten Commandments. Um, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, right? And what was the Sabbath about? I'm not gonna say everything that the Sabbath about. What, what was it about, ultimately? It was about rest. It was actually about setting down and ceasing from your work, right? And it says there that, that, you know, the Lord rested on the seventh day and he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
what what making something holy means is actually it's i mean you know this uh, you have things that are holy to you that are sacred to you right they're they're unique they're special they're set they're set apart they're different uh than than other things right and he's saying this sabbath day this day of rest was to be set apart it was unique it was different than any other day and part of it, as he explains, you know, that the Lord, six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that was in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Part of what this is doing is saying that part of bearing God's image, if we're created in his image, we're meant to be priests that reflect his image. Part of bearing his image is looking at this, what he's modeled for us in this six days of creation and seventh day of rest, right? When God rested from his work in the seventh day, um, you know, God wasn't tired, right? It wasn't like he was like, man, it's the weekend, right? Like, I'm so pumped. Uh, he, he didn't rest from his work because he was exhausted. And, and also, those days one through six when he was creating, he wasn't working from a state of worry or anxiety as he was creating, right? Which can mark a lot of our work, Right? I'm not just doing the work. There's all sorts of work going on inside of me, right? God created out of his identity not to get an identity, right? <laughs> we do a lot of our work in order to get an identity. He's saying, no, no, I work from this place of rest and then I rest, right? When he said it was good at the end of creation, he wasn't saying like, I'm, there's nothing else I could do. I mean, he could have kept creating, but what he's saying is, I'm satisfied. It's enough. It's good, right? I'm gonna rest. I'm gonna set it down. And so part of the mark of a life of, of us as priests, right, is this mark of rest and this rhythm from, you know, a life of work, and, and we'll talk about this eventually, working even from a place of rest, internal rest, Right? but also setting aside unique time for like we're doing right now, worship and for renewal, right? Having holy set apart Sabbath time, which is, is deeper than just saying, hey, I, I need a day off from my, from my work, right? That there's a rest available to us that is a moment by moment state of rest, a state of peace, that's even in the, in, the, in the midst of my work, in the midst of difficulty. And that's why we're gonna talk about the topic of worry because that's a work that few of us actually rest from, right? But as priests who are in the kingdom of God, who are reflecting the kingdom of God, this sort of rest, the rest from worry can actually be a mark of our lives because of what he's done, Okay? So the Sabbath was all about rest. Let's talk about worry in this passage in Matthew 6, okay? Three things that I'd love for us to consider out of this passage. One, the nature of worry, okay? Secondly, resting from worry. And then uh, thirdly, um, seeking remedies or seeking true rest, okay? Most of us just seek remedies, uh, versus seeking true rest, okay? So the nature of worry, resting from worry, and then seeking remedies versus seeking true rest. The nature of worry. 
Let me ask you, uh, I, was, I was thinking about this. Um, if you wake up in the middle of the night, how many of you guys wake up in the middle of the night? Yeah? God bless you who don't wake up in the middle of the night. So <laughs> we have a two-year-old. Her name's Lane. And in it, when she wakes up in the middle of the night, she's doing it less and less, but when she wakes up in the middle of the night, um, I literally, I know internally, I've got about five minutes to do whatever it is that I need to do for her and get back to sleep because if I go beyond that five minutes, it's over. I'm gonna be up the rest of the night because as soon as I'm up for more than five minutes, my mind starts racing about things that either happened yesterday or I think are gonna happen today. I start worrying or scheming about that upcoming day. I do things like I bring what happened yesterday into the present moment, right? And the supercomputer gets going. And so for me, there's that five minute window. It's like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Like you've got, the clock is ticking. Figure out the situation so you can get back to bed. Well, oftentimes what my, that, that moment will be for me is, is I wake up and I start worrying, right? Because worry, worry really has no work day, does it? Worry doesn't go down with the sun or come up with it. <laughs> um, it's like our phones, and it may be because of our phones. We can stay connected to worry 24-7, And Jesus, he he understands that. And what he's teaching us here is is the true key to rest, the true key to Sabbath from a life that is marked by worry, okay? The very nature of worry, it starts here, and I didn't read these verses, but anytime you see in Scripture, I'm I'm teaching you even how to read the Bible right now. When you see the word therefore in the Bible, you always need to go and read what was right before it, right? What's the therefore, therefore is the principle. And right before he says, therefore I tell you don't worry about your life, right before that, he's teaching on treasure. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's talking about earthly treasures that actually can be lost, right? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes on to talk about you can't serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Therefore, do not worry. What What he's doing here is he's saying worry has a context, right? The nature of worry is is it has a context. And the context of worry has to do with treasure. It has to do with where your heart is and what you love, right? So that's why why we're reading this passage because it really connects to that first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? Worry's nature is about having other things get ahead of the position that God alone was made to hold in our lives. Something has gotten ahead of him. Things that we believe can save us. Things that we believe are gonna deliver, right? 
the nature of worry often shows what, not only what we treasure, but ultimately what we over-treasure. Because a lot of the things that we worry about, they're good things. They're not evil things. But it's something that my heart begins to treasure, and then somehow I over-treasure it. It becomes too important. It gets ahead of the Lord, right? And when that happens, I don't have it anymore. It has me. It has mastery over me. I, I serve it like he's talking about. I get up and I, I, I bow down to it with my actions, right? And he's saying your, your heart is divided. When a heart is divided, a heart is marked by worry. So uh, even on the grammar level, this word worry here, um, it, let me just say something that it's not saying because we all worry, right? We do. And there's part of that, it's like, good. <laughs> you should. Worry is, a, is, is actually a degree of worry is a mark of the fact that you actually love something. You care about it, right? I was with my sons up at, at some land in Kentucky. We have some four-wheelers, right? And when you put your, your, <laughs> your eight-year-old on a 70cc four-wheeler that was built in the 1980s and you even strap a helmet on him and you send him down the lane, you do this face, right? <laughs> Why? Because you're worried. Because you love him, right? Okay, that's not what this is talking about. It's not, it's not talking about kind of the reasonable concern that we have for things that we love, right? The word here on the grammar level is, is to actually have utterly distracting or anxious care to be divided or to be literally the words like to have a piece of fabric ripped apart. I'm being torn apart with my concern about this, right? It's dominating me. It's mastering me. That's the nature of this worry that Jesus is speaking into. He's saying, this is not what you were made for. There's a rest from that. And here's some of the marks We'll just go through a few different parts of the passage, right? Here's some of the marks that you may be, this may be worry that you're struggling with, right? The first one is this. You always bring, or I always bring, what I confessed about in the middle of the night. I bring tomorrow into today, right? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life, right? What's he talking about? He's talking about the future. And don't we do this? I do this. How much of your worry is actually future fear casting, right? Which oftentimes we're about as good as that as we are at our local weather forecast, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, it's going to be horrible, and then it's not horrible, right? I mean, how good are we at predicting the weather? And he's saying the same thing here. So much of our worry is about future fear casting and I live into a future moment. I drag the fear of a moment that may never come into the present and what it does is it robs me of all the joy and the peace that I have right now. Like I broke a shotgun this week. I'm going hunting in a few weeks. It's a trip that I look forward to with my father-in-law. We're going to, out to South Dakota. Uh, listen to me. I'm talking like it's going to happen. I mean, it may not happen, right? One of us gets COVID, something happens, right? And and my, my most reliable gun broke this week. And I called the manufacturer and they're like, yeah, 
it's going to be like five months before we can get this fixed. Now, I have a backup shotgun, right? It's the one I'll use if I don't use that gun, and it works fine. Let me tell you what I was doing all day yesterday, mm, five hours yesterday. I certainly ruined most of my afternoon with my wife, and here's what I was doing. I was thinking about that trip. You know, what if I get out there and, and then, because I've had problems with this other shotgun. What if it breaks? And by the end of all of my little thinking down into the future that may never happen, here's where I was at. I'm just going to kind of be walking around the fields by myself, lonely, watching all of everyone else have fun, while Dave without shotguns takes pictures of what they're doing, right? I ruined my whole afternoon. You can call Emily. I'll give you her phone number. She can attest. I bring tomorrow into today. It's one of the marks of this type of worry. Second, I question my value. Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow, reap, or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not more valuable? If I'm honest, this, this kind of tearing worry, this kind of anxiety that just bleeds into everything, oftentimes is attached to that one statement. Am I valuable? Do I matter? So much of my worry is attached to my perception of my value. Do I have value? If I have it, will I be able to keep it? How can I keep from losing the value that I have, right? And oftentimes, this sort of worry shows me what I was saying earlier about treasure. It's not, it's not do I have value, but what do I value and what do I want to be valued by is not the Lord, it's something else. And the truth is, is, is you and I, we can never get enough of what we don't truly need. I'd write that down and think about it. You can never truly get enough of what you don't really need, and yet most of our lives are marked by running after it. Run after something we, we don't really need. And as a result, it's what Mark 4 says. Listen to this. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, they hear the word. They hear the word, because remember, Jesus is speaking to people right now. This isn't just some theology. He's preaching a sermon to people who are sitting in front of him. They hear the word, but the worries of the life, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, so the lies that wealth communicates, it's deceit, and the desire for other things, they come in and they choke out the word. Worry chokes it and makes it unfruitful. So I can bring tomorrow and today, that's a mark of it. I can question my value and then lastly, you know, you just have to look at repetition here. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. You, 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 you. It's another mark of this sort of worry. When all of the focus is on me, all the focus is on myself and ultimately what are my needs, right? And what Jesus is trying to get them to, to embrace and see here is there's a Sabbath rest, there's a rest that is available to us 
that looks like the entire created universe, myself included, are in God's good, my heavenly Father's good and capable hands. Would you step into that rest? Would you step out of this sort of worry? So before we move out of the nature of worry, what do you worry about? Like, I I would encourage you, go home today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Go home today and sit down and, and write it out. What, 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 do, what dominates your daydreaming and your free time that you're concerned about constantly? What do you feel like is just tearing you apart? You worry about money? Your provision? You worry about what people think about you? I can write these out because these are easy for me. These are low-hanging fruit. <laughs> I worry about my health and my image. I worry about my kids' future. I worry about our country's future. Ask the Lord, Lord, show me where, where this, this worry is a mark of my life and where I'm not entering into your rest and where it's choking me, right? The last thing I'll say about the nature of worry is this, that worry multiplies. I, I, I washed a pen. See, see this right here? See this? Can you see this on the camera? That little ink pen that I love doing that with, I'm like, oh yeah, a little pen. Just Sometimes I forget to take it out of my pants. I washed one and then I dried it. I dried it with clothes that I wore to a wedding. Which means clothes I don't wear very often but are expensive, right? I ruined everything. The dryer literally looked like someone put a paint bomb in it. And I just remember Emily standing there and she, she pulls some out. She goes, <laughs> I couldn't see what she was seeing. She goes, oh no. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it's a great picture of worry, which is this little thing, it, it got over everything. And when, when we worry like this, uh, it's like a pen in the laundry. When, it, when I let one area of my life go and I, I don't, Acknowledge, man, I, I, I've, I've stepped into this sort of worry where I'm, I'm being dominated by it. You, you can't keep it in one area of your life. If, if I over-treasure something and it's leading to this sort of worry, I'll begin to over-treasure many things is what I'm getting at. So let the Lord lead you. Where am I worried? What's it about? So if that's true, if, if worry multiplies, and there's a lot of things to worry about, and we, we all are kind of nodding our heads, man, I, I don't rest from worry very much. What's the solution? Second thing, resting from worry. Because the picture Jesus is painting here in Matthew 6 is really this move from a deep sense of restlessness to a deep experience of rest, right? A deep experience of rest even in the middle of need, because that's why he's saying he's like drink, food, clothes you need all these things right he's not saying hey here's when worry goes away is when God gives you it all and you've got it all you still need it all right but he's saying there's a rest in the middle of all of that need right and all of that uncertainty and all of that day-to-day waiting and the key to that is remembering something this is the key to resting from worry and it's this You have to remember and you have to know, and I would say you have to experience being treasured. 
Remember, he's talking about treasure, what your heart tre- where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? Are you not much more valuable than these birds? What's he speaking to? He's speaking to the human condition, the need that all of us have to be told this, you are treasured, you are beloved, you are valuable, you matter to me. You have the affection and you have the commitment of the God of the universe to your good. That's why knowing the promises of God is so important for the Christian, right? Because you can't pull the promises out of heaven into the present. That's the real future I should be bringing into the present, right? Not tomorrow, but eternity. I bring that future into my present and it gives me peace, it gives me rest. But it's not just knowing that stuff. I, I'm, this is probably the most important thing I think I'm gonna say this morning, or the Lord told me about this. Some of us are, grew up in church and we've got good theology, right? And so we just kind of get out our theology and we just kind of apply it to our heads and give ourselves a spiritual lobotomy for false peace, right? God's got it, he's good, he's good. That's true, and some of our lives is marked by that. I actually have to know the truth, and sometimes I have to sing the truth to my own heart. But there are times, and this is one of them, where Jesus is speaking to them. You have to not just know you're treasured, you have to hear it. You have to hear Jesus say it to you from his mouth. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, he's gonna guide you into all truth. He's gonna proclaim the truth to you. He's gonna teach you about the truth. That's why it's so important. You have to hear it from him. You have to hear him declare your value. And you have to hear his voice and his words reason your heart into a different place. Because he's speaking to people who are worried about real things. And he's saying, let me reason you into a different place with my words. Because I'm your heavenly father. I'm not just God. I'm not just this detached being who created the universe. I'm your heavenly father. So how we rest from worry, let's go back to Exodus 20. He says, but on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. And Jesus says in Mark, I didn't make uh, the man for Sabbath, because a lot of the people at the time, they basically created this, you know, used the Sabbath for all this religious work. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. It was a bunch of work. He's saying, I created the Sabbath for you to rest. You know, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? And so he's saying, that this rest from worry, it begins by Sabbathing to the Lord. That's what they were doing in this moment. They were sitting at Jesus' feet, letting him teach them, right? I come to him in order to rest, right? Not just for my provision, I come into his presence because in his presence, he is at rest. He is Sabbath, Right? And so how I rest from worry, I have to remember that I'm treasured, I have to hear him say it, and how I hear him say it is as I come to him. And coming to him is the difference between seeking true rest, this is the third point. Man, I went right through that second one so quick. Seeking true rest versus seeking a remedy, right? 
One, seeking a remedy is as I'm just seeking for him to solve what's going on. Make, make these things that I'm concerned about kind of go away or fix them, right? And one is actually coming and resting with him. A Sabbath unto the Lord, right? That's how David says what I read in the call to worship. My soul finds rest in God alone. That's not just a feeling or sentiment. He's, he's teaching us fact. It's the only place my soul rests. So I have to come to him. Do you guys, uh, this is a bit of a risky proposition to, to use this m- movie illustration because it, it shows my age, but what about Bob? Yeah? I think I want to take my kid. I, I don't know. I need to watch it again to see, because some movies in the 80s, you can't show your kids. It's like, it's PG, and it's like, whoa, that ain't PG. That's like way not PG and not PC. I mean, it's <laughs> this is way off, right? I'm there. Interesting. Just a connection or something. You guys remember Bob, right? Bob comes into Leo Marvin's office, right? And he's got all these problems and Leo is his psychiatrist and then Leo goes on vacation, right? For a month. Someplace up in like Nantucket or something like that. And Bob goes and finds him because he's still struggling, right? He's just worried about a lot of things. And I went back and rewatched this scene because uh, basically uh, Bob had had determined something that I think I'm actually trying to get you to believe right now, which is is that uh, I need I need to go to somebody to help me. I need I need somebody to step into this with me, and that's what I'm arguing about. The Lord, the Lord is the one I need to seek this sort of rest in, but. You remember Leo, he, he's frustrated because he doesn't want Bob to actually be ruining his vacation and he writes him a, a prescription on the beach and it says, you need to take a vacation from your problems, right? And Bob, uh, you know, he's, he's saying this because he wants Bob to basically leave. <laughs> I'm gonna take a vacation from you, Bob, because you're my problem and you need to take a vacation from your problem so I don't have to deal with you for a month, Right? But if you know the rest of the movie, he goes back to New York or wherever, I think the big city he was from, and it doesn't last very long, and he comes back to Leo's house, and he ends up living in Leo's house, and you know, eventually, I guess, saving Leo on some levels. But what did Bob understand? What Bob understood was, is, um, I don't need a piece of paper. I don't need some catchphrase or some truth. I need a person. I need you, Leo. So I'm, I'm gonna go to your house, and unfortunately, what we have in our Heavenly Father is, is we don't have um, Dr. Leo Marvin, right? We have a Heavenly Father who says, come on in, Bob. I know you're worried about a lot, and I even know what you're worried about that you don't even know about. I know it all. Come on in. I'm not going to write you a piece of paper and send you on your way. I'm going to spend time with you because I know that your, your rest it, it is dependent on you being with me. Don't go away, come to me, right? That's why he says there in verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well, right? Because he's understanding that rest, it's a seeking thing. 
I have to seek him out. And when I seek him out, he reminds me, this is who I am. I'm your heavenly father. He reminds me of who he is and who, who I am and what I need. And he starts to prioritize things again in his presence, right? He's saying, you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And then all those things that you're worried about, they follow like a train. <laughs> we gotta get the engine first. Everything else follows as well. Versus what I said, which is seeking remedies. You know, how, how can you make this go, go away right away? Little short-term remedies that I think I know for me, um, I can easily run to in order to deal with the worry, in order to get a little rest when it's really like a cat nap, right? And Jesus, he's not offering a remedy. He's not offering a prescription. Here's your prescription. Go away. Here, go do this. That'll, that'll give you rest. He's not offering you a remedy. He's offering you a relationship. He's not offering you a prescription. He's offering you a person, him. And he's saying that that's something you can't lose, you know, a treasure in heaven that moth and rust can't steal, <laughs> right? And so just really practically, if, if, if this, um, instead of seeking a remedy, we're, we're actually seeking him, I would just encourage you, one, one of the things that we can, we can focus on in here is these two words, look and see, Right? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow in barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor and spin. Even Solomon, all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. And God, he clothes the grass, and he's going to clothe you, right? What's he saying there? Why is he saying look and see? Well, what he's, what he's getting at is he's saying... What we look at, what we see, what we focus on oftentimes determines the state of our heart, the state of our worry, and where we focus matters, right? He's trying to refocus their attention, and he's calling their attention to the provision that he does for all of creation. And he's saying, you hold a unique place in my created order. You are of the greatest value. Would you look and see how I treat these things, how much more valuable are they? And, and my, my challenge to you, and this, this goes to like seeking him in rest versus seeking remedy, would you pay attention to where your eyes are at? You know, earlier in this whole you know, passage, he talks about, not, I mean the whole teaching, he talks about the eye being the lamp of the body, and he talks about having good eyes or bad eyes. I thought I printed it out, but I guess I didn't. Oh, here it is. The eyes is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness, right? What's he saying? He's saying the same thing he's saying here about look at the birds. Look at the grass. He's saying, where are your eyes at? And if I'm honest, oftentimes where my eyes at are not looking to him, therefore I'm not at rest. Where my eyes are at are looking oftentimes at everyone around me, Right? I've heard us say here many times, comparison is the thief of joy. It's also the thief of rest, right? 
So much of my focus, where my eyes are at, either leads me to this place that we're talking about here of rest, or it leads me to a place of anxious, distracting, tear-apart worry. And so he's saying, seek my kingdom, right? Because in my kingdom, I'm king. You don't have to be king, and you don't have to worry. Because if you're king, you have to worry, right? You have to protect everything. Everything's a threat. He's saying, seek my righteousness, right? Which means ultimately this for you as a Christian, your value is safe and secure because of what he did, not because of anything you do or have to do. And in his kingdom and in his righteousness, rest now becomes the place that we live. Not one day a week. It's not a day off. I actually become yoked to him, like Matthew 11 says. So even when I'm working, I work from a place of, of rest. I don't have to worry, right? It's a beautiful, powerful thing because then worry turns into wonder, right? Anxiety turns into adventure because I, I'm in his world. I'm in his kingdom. I'm not alone. I have his righteousness. I have value. And so I can rest, all right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you, uh, yeah, thank you that we can be free from this sort of worry. Uh, thank you that you know what worries us, Lord, and that um, you don't leave us alone to do that, but you invite us uh, to run to you and to seek you and your kingdom and your righteousness um, and to look to the, to the created world around us even as evidence of the fact that you're gonna take care of us um, and that you've made promises to us. And so I, I pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom about what we worry about. I pray that the things that have gotten ahead of you in our lives, we'd confess those things. Uh, we'd lay them down, Lord, um, and we'd come to you and let you reorder our hearts and our lives. Um, and Lord, I, I pray, uh, I pray specifically that, that my friends here and the friends that are watching, um, they would hear you say, are you not more valuable? You have value to me, child. Uh, rest, know that. Uh, may that truth penetrate our hearts in a profound way. Uh, we ask this in your name. Amen.